Often in an argument, what people think they are arguing about is not the real subject of disagreement, which is deeper and often unspoken, if it is even understood. So it is here. The divisions that have opened up in society about the COVID vaccines are not really about the COVID vaccines at all. They are about what vaccination symbolizes in this moment, what it means to be vaxxed or unvaxxed, safe or dangerous, clean or dirty, sensible or irresponsible, compliant or independent. These are questions about what it means to be a good member of society and what society even is, and they are detonating like depth charges beneath the surface of the culture. The best in Bitcoin made audible. I am Guy Swan, and this is Bitcoin Audible. What is up, guys? Welcome back to the show, everybody. I am Guy Swan, and this is Bitcoin Audible. We're taking a little bit of a departure from our normal topics today. Um, well, not a lot, actually. But this article is called The Vaccine Moment, and it's not really about the vaccine per se. And I think that's really where the conversation around COVID and everything that's going on is dishonest at times where people are constantly arguing over the efficacy of the vaccine or whether the vaccine is dangerous or safe and i get roped into all that stuff too i've been trying to pull together tons of information one way or the other i'm still it's just all nonsense it's unbelievable how much different stuff there is in every single direction when the critical issue is about control and what we are putting up with, what we are allowing to happen while we are deathly afraid of going outside and catching this virus. This article, like I said, is not exactly about the vaccine per se. It's about the systems of control that are being constructed with surprising lockstep across the entire globe around the excuse of the COVID vaccine. Now, there's basically no way to have a sensible conversation about this anymore. Uh, and that's largely, I believe, because the mainstream doesn't allow it. When you don't allow the opposition to have a voice, to even give them the respect of a mutual conversation and a choice that they have, when that pretense is taken, you create extremism. You create a distrust that has them looking for every possible reason why you are wrong, even ridiculous and absurd theories. And yet this has been the response. This has been the treatment. To even begin the conversation as if the narrative can be questioned at all is met with anger, abuse, and censorship. So if that is how you feel, if you're already uncomfortable about this episode, you can't deal with a conversation about this topic, then just cut it off. Just listen to the next one or unsubscribe. I don't, you know, it doesn't really matter. Like this is, this is just a podcast. I'm talking to my computer, sharing an article that I think is valuable and is important to me and trying to explain my worldview. If you're offended or hurt by that, then just go away. 
I have no animosity to somebody who disagrees with me. I really, despite the fact that I get heated and sometimes vicious even in like a Twitter debate, I really don't, I, I enjoy a debate. And I try to admit and understand when I'm wrong, which I am wrong about stuff pretty often. But I will not entertain someone who disagrees and says that I will be met with violence for simply not coming to the same conclusion, for not making the choice that they did. And that's going to immediately reinforce the fact that I probably made the right decision. And I want even less. I want nothing to do with that person. Because that is not a good person. And them outsourcing that job, that violence, to some other thug with a gun and a baton, rather than doing it themselves, only makes them worse. You can see I'm going to get heated about this. i got a long guy's take for this episode. But I feel I have to caveat this because this has become a stupidly divisive topic. It just isn't a conversation anymore. It's a religion. Questions aren't allowed. Those who do question are simply heretics. But if you are looking at the world right now and it makes you feel uneasy, if you're seeing what's going on in Australia, in Austria, in Germany, and you're seeing internment camps. You're seeing politicians talking about how much they want to hurt and make the unvaxxed pay for what is happening. If you're seeing the explicit and deliberate drumming up of fear and suspicion by the media and the government, and that makes you uncomfortable, that raises a red flag, then maybe this is a good article to listen to. You know, I have a very strong principle around this topic. It is unambiguous. I simply believe in self-ownership. So forgive me if I get heated or I sound angry during any of the commentary here. Remember again, you have the magical power of just turning this off and going about your day if you'd rather not listen. Exercise that if you cannot handle it. But this article really stuck with me, and I think it's going to bug me until I do a show about it and just get it off my chest. And sure, it's not really about Bitcoin, like explicitly, like he doesn't mention, I don't think Paul is a Bitcoiner here, but it is about liberty and autonomy and the direction of the world, which is deeply related to the importance and the very reasons for Bitcoin's existence. And then in addition, it's also my show and I want to talk about it. So with that, hopefully you are still here because we are reading a really good article today from Paul Kingsnorth. Real fast before we jump in, I want to thank our sponsors for keeping this show alive. We had the Fold card, you know it, it's got sats back on literally everything in your life. It is a cheat code for a never-ending stream of sats. And then we've got Swan Bitcoin, which is simply put the best place to buy Bitcoin. Automatic savings plan, automatic withdrawal. That's where you send it straight to your hardware wallet like the BitBox. So you know that those sats are yours. You own them. Nobody else can freeze them or take them or you know, lock your account. And that's where you want to send your fold sats to. You want to keep them all secure on your cold storage device. And last but not least, Bitcoin Magazine and the Bitcoin 2022 conference coming up in April. It is going to be the biggest Bitcoin conference ever and you don't want to miss it. 
Link to all of the above mentioned found in the show notes with a lot of discounts for the listeners, by the way. I got discount codes, so don't forget to check it out. With that, let's get into today's article. And it is titled, The Vaccine Moment, Part 1, On the Days of Revelation, written by Paul Kingsnorth. This is the first installment of a two-part essay on the virus and the machine. Part 2 follows next week, after which normal service will be resumed. Perhaps it's because I'm English, or perhaps it's my age, or perhaps it's just blind prejudice. But when I wake to the news that the Austrian government has interned an entire third of its national population as a, quote, danger to public health, a chill runs down my spine. Austria, I think to myself. Ah. I look at the news photos of armed, masked, black-clad police stopping people in the streets to ask for their digital papers, and I read stories of others arrested for leaving their own house more than the permitted once a day, and I hear Austrian politicians intoning that those who refuse to accede to the injection are to be shunned and scapegoated until they acquiesce. Then I watch interviews with ordinary people, and they say that the unvaxxed had it coming, Some of them say that they should all be jailed, these enemies of the people. At best, the anti-vaxxers are paranoid and misinformed. At worst, they are malicious and should be punished. A few days later, I wake up to some more news about Austria. From next year, everyone in the country will have a COVID vaccine forced into them by the state, overriding their right to what certain people who have gone very quiet recently used to call bodily autonomy. Then I look across the border at Germany. I see that in Germany, politicians are also considering interning the vaccine-hesitant and are currently discussing forced vaccination upon every citizen. By the end of the winter, says Germany's refreshingly honest health minister, Germans will be, quote, vaccinated, cured, or dead. There is apparently no fourth option. They have been busy in Germany. Recently, they put up fences in Hamburg to separate the bad unvaxxed from the good vaxxed at the Christmas markets. Outdoors. Perhaps they will also provide the good people with rocks to throw across those fences. When I see cartoons like the one at the top of this page, which recently appeared in a mainstream German newspaper, I think that this may not be far off. Here, the man on the sofa has bought himself a first-person shooter game in which he is having fun killing unvaccinated people. It will be, says the cartoonist, quote, a big hit under the Christmas tree. Ha ha ha, I think. Germany, fences, internment, forced injections, armed police, scan your code, kill the unvaxxed. Ha ha ha. I'm watching all of this from Ireland, the country which has the highest adult vaccination rate in Western Europe, at over 94% of the population. At the same time, curiously, we have some of the highest COVID infection rates in Western Europe, too. The government has not been able to explain this fact. 
but it is a trend that has recently manifested in some other highly vaccinated places too. Gibraltar, Israel, West Flanders. High levels of vaccination do not seem to correspond with low levels of disease, often quite the opposite. In other parts of the world, strange things are happening too. Africa, for example. Africa's population is the largest, fastest growing, and materially poorest of any continent. Few governments there can afford to supply their people with the pricey corporate vaccines which we in the West have staked our nations on. Only 6% of Africa's population is vaccinated, and national healthcare systems barely exist in many places. Yet the WHO describes the continent as, quote, one of the least affected regions in the world by the virus. In fact, the richer, more developed parts of the world seem to be suffering worst from the pandemic. Nobody seems to be able to explain any of this, but that hasn't changed the official direction of travel. Certainly in Ireland, the script remains the same. For six months, we have been living with vaccine apartheid, with the unvaxxed excluded from much of society. But it hasn't worked. Rates of infection are shooting up as winter arrives, as you might expect with a respiratory virus. We were all told recently to work from home and another lockdown is on the cards. A midnight curfew has recently been imposed on pubs and nightclubs. This is odd as only vaccinated people have been allowed into them for months and we have repeatedly been assured that vaccinated people are safe to be around. In an honest society, all of this would have been subject to robust public debate. We would have seen scientists of all opinions openly debating on TV and radio and in the press. Views of all kinds aired on social media. Journalists properly investigating reports of both vaccine successes and vaccine dangers. Serious explorations of alternative treatments public debates about the balance between civil liberties and public health, and what public health even means. But we have not seen this, and we will not see it, for debate, like dissent, is out of fashion. The media here in Ireland has not asked a critical question of anyone in authority for at least 18 months. Google's algorithms are busy burying inconvenient data, while the social media channels from which most people receive their worldview are removing or suppressing critical opinions, even if they come from virologists or editors of the British Medical Journal. Day after day, I have been waking and wondering, what is going on? Internment, mandatory medication, segregation of whole sections of society, mass sackings, a drumbeat media consensus, the systematic censoring of dissent, the deliberate creation by the state and the press of a climate of fear and suspicion. What could possibly justify this? Perhaps the combination of a terrible pandemic which killed or maimed large percentages of those it infected, and the existence of a safe and reliable medicine which was proven to prevent its spread. This, of course, is what we are said to be living through. This is the narrative. But it is clear enough by now that the narrative is not true.
COVID-19 is a nasty illness which should be taken seriously, especially by those who are especially vulnerable to it. But it is nowhere near dangerous enough, if anything could be, to justify the creation of a global police state. As for the vaccines, well, let's just acknowledge that vaccination has become a subject which it is virtually impossible to discuss with any calmness or clarity, at least in public. As with almost every other big issue in the West today, opinion is divided along tribal lines and filtered through the fetid swamp of anti-social media to emerge monstrous and dripping into the light. Often in an argument, what people think they are arguing about is not the real subject of disagreement, which is deeper and often unspoken, if it is even understood. So it is here. The divisions that have opened up in society about the COVID vaccines are not really about the COVID vaccines at all. They are about what vaccination symbolizes in this moment. What it means to be vaxxed or unvaxxed, safe or dangerous, clean or dirty, sensible or irresponsible, compliant or independent. These are questions about what it means to be a good member of society and what society even is, and they are detonating like depth charges beneath the surface of the culture. This is not to say that the surface disagreements don't matter. They do. There are plenty of good reasons to be concerned about these medications and their enforced use. Here we have a novel technology, never before used at scale or for this purpose, used to create a series of vaccines which have been rolled out to millions before their clinical trials are even complete. This is an unprecedented situation, as is vaccination for a respiratory virus in the middle of a pandemic, which some people with serious expertise warn may worsen the situation rather than end it. The companies manufacturing these things are making equally unprecedented hourly profits, and their long histories of dishonesty and cover-ups, plus the fact that they are legally immune from any liability for problems arising from these vaccines, makes it impossible to take seriously their assurances of safety. And when we witness an active state media campaign against early treatment of a disease, the precise opposite of what every doctor is taught at medical school, along with a refusal to report any of the mounting evidence of short-term side effects, it ought to be clear that something is happening which cannot be explained by the story we are being told. For all these reasons and more, I have not been vaccinated against COVID, and I don't plan to be. This does not make me anti-vax, a category that is designed to feed into the ongoing culture war narrative which separates the good from the bad people and leads both sides in that war to demonize the other. I am not against vaccination, and I certainly wouldn't imagine I had the right to tell others what to do with their bodies. I don't believe that the available COVID vaccines are ineffective, though they do not do what they were sold to us as doing, and I can see plenty of reasons for people, especially vulnerable people, to take them if they choose. I expect that readers of this essay could argue with me about my decision if they felt like it, 
and I expect I could argue back. This is what much of the world has been doing since these vaccines arrived on the scene. We could all throw peer-reviewed studies that we don't really understand at each other, and they would all miss the mark, because the vaccine is not the point. The point is what it symbolizes, and what it is being used to build. I am a writer. I know how to construct stories. I know what makes them succeed or fail, and I have a nose for when a story does not hang together. The COVID narrative is just such a story. It doesn't fit together, even on its own terms. Something is wrong. The surface tale does not reflect what lies beneath, and what lies beneath is what interests me now. We live in an apocalyptic time, in the original sense of the Greek word apocalypsis, or revelation. What is happening on the surface is revealing what has always lain beneath but which in normal times is hidden from view. All of the action now is in the underworld. Beneath the arguments about whether or not to take a vaccine that may or may not work safely glides something older, deeper, slower. Something with all the time in the world. Some great spirit whose work is to use these fractured times to reveal to us all that we need to see. Things hidden since the foundation of the modern world. COVID is a revelation. It has lain bare splits in the social fabric that were always there but could be ignored in better times. It has revealed the compliance of the legacy media and the power of Silicon Valley to curate and control the public conversation. It has confirmed the sly dishonesty of political leaders and their ultimate obeisance to corporate power. It has shown up, quote, the science for the compromised ideology it is. Most of all, it has revealed the authoritarian streak that lies beneath so many people and which always emerges in fearful times. In the last month alone, I have watched media commentators calling for censorship of their political opponents, philosophy professors justifying mass internment, and human rights lobby groups remaining silent about vaccine passports. I have watched much of the political left transition openly into the authoritarian movement it probably always was, and countless, quote, liberals campaigning against liberty. As freedom after freedom has been taken away, I have watched intellectual after intellectual justify it all. I've been reminded of what I always knew. Cleverness has no relationship to wisdom. I have learnt more about human nature in the last two years than in my preceding 47. I have learnt some things about myself, too, and I don't especially like them either. I have noticed my ongoing temptation to become a partisan, to judge and condemn those on the other side of the question, those sheeple, those malicious enemies of truth. I have noticed my tendency to seek out only sources of information which confirm my beliefs. Revelation is never comfortable. Most of all, though, what the COVID apocalypse has revealed to me is that when people are frightened, they can be easily controlled. Control. This 
is the story of the times. Across the world, we are seeing unprecedented claim to control staked by the forces of the state in alliance with the forces of corporate capital over your life and mine. All of it converges on the revealed symbol of our age, the smartphone-enabled QR code that has with frightening speed and in near silence become the new passport to a full human life. As ever, our tools have turned on us. Another revelation. They were never our tools to begin with. We were theirs. Amongst the vast flock of contested facts that wheel around this virus like a murmuration of starlings, darkening the skies and addling the mind, one stands out. It is the single fact that blows a cathedral-shaped hole in the strategy being pursued by governments at present, and which offers a glimpse into the crypt. It is the fact that these vaccines, whatever their efficacy in other areas, do not prevent transmission of the virus. This single fact, which has long been known but is barely ever mentioned, blows apart the case for vaccine passports, segregation, lockdowns of the unvaxxed, and all such similar measures. Even if you believe, or pretend to, that this virus is dangerous enough to justify the radical new forms of authoritarianism which have emerged around it, and I certainly don't, these forms will fail anyway if both vaccinated and unvaccinated people can spread it, which we know they can. What, then, can be the justification for the system of technological control and monitoring which has arisen around us with curious speed and smoothness over the last year? And what could explain the strangely similar language in which the world's governments explain and justify the system, which so many have adopted in similar ways, with similar technologies, in similar time frames? That the unvaxxed are a danger to society and that the vaxxed must be protected from them is the pretext. But as we're seeing on the ground in Ireland, the pretext is baseless. If we were operating as we pretend to be from the ground of reason, if we really were following the science, then we would be dismantling these systems at this point. Instead, we are moving deeper into them. We are being herded into a future in which scanning a code to prove you are a safe and obedient member of society will be a permanent feature of life, as unquestioned as credit cards and driver's licenses. We are moving towards enforced mandatory vaccination of entire populations, including children, and prison sentences for those who refuse. By winter's end, we could be living in a world in which the state has taken full charge of our bodies, and our only chance of remaining active members of society is to submit to their every instruction and agree to permanent digital monitoring to prove our compliance. Eighteen months ago, anyone suggesting that this would be the direction of travel when this virus arrived in town would have been dismissed as a paranoid David Icke fanboy. But over that 18 months, we have moved smoothly from two weeks to flatten the curve 
to mandatory injections to avoid prison. We have normalized this and accepted it. We have not asked questions. Those who have dissented have been censored, silenced, bullied, and abused. Even as I was writing this essay, the situations in Germany and Austria were eclipsed by news from down under. This weekend, the Australian army began shifting COVID-infected people into state-run camps. Parts of the Northern Territories of Australia have entered a hard lockdown in which nobody can leave their house for any reason at all except for urgent medical treatment. Those who have contracted the virus or simply been in contact with someone who has will now be forcibly transferred by soldiers to a government-run camp where they will be held until the state decrees they are safe enough to be released. These, quote, mandatory supervised quarantine facilities have been used to quarantine incoming travelers for the last year. Now they are being used to contain Australian citizens. You can watch this measure being announced by the government here. You can see another Australian politician fulminating about the unvaxxed and what he would like to do to them here. If after this you are not filled with foreboding, then I don't know what to say to you. My own sense of foreboding is deepening daily. Beneath the surface, down in those depths, I am far from the only one who can see what is emerging. The narrative does not hang together. The story does not gel, but it is doing its job nonetheless. It is being used to summon forth and justify an unprecedented authoritarian technocracy which is hemming us all in with no consent, no debate, and no right to opt out. In a short but momentous two years, this is who we have become. We in the West, who have spent decades, if not centuries, lecturing the rest of the world about freedom and sometimes trying to bomb them into accepting it. We who invented this thing called liberalism. We who are now burying it. It didn't take much, did it, for our words to be revealed as hollow. Nearly a decade ago, I wrote an essay called The Barcode Moment. It's collected in my book, Confessions of a Recovering Environmentalist but you can also read the original version in three parts, here, here, and here. It was about the advance of intrusive technologies, and the question it posed was, where will you draw your line? I was trying to work out for myself the answer to this question, which has nagged at me for years. At what moment does the direction of travel of the machine become so obvious, so intolerable, so frightening that you can no longer acquiesce. What is the breaking point? For some people, it was smartphones. For others, it might have been social media. These days, I think that the really smart people stepped off the carousel at dial-up modems and went quietly into the woods. That essay was easy to write compared to this one. Ten years ago, I shivered at the sight of Google's new glass technology, which in retrospect was an early shot at a prototype metaverse, and wrote about what it might portend. 
It turns out that it's a dozen times easier to write about a future of technological control that might be right around the corner than it is to write about it as it manifests around you. But this is what is happening today. Over the last six months, I have been writing about the evolution of the vast grid of technological control that I call the machine. Where it came from, what powers it, how we manifest it in our culture and in our individual lives. Over the next few months, I was planning to write about how it manifests in the here and now, in our politics, society, and culture. I will still be doing that, but I find myself being overtaken by events. By the time I finish writing these essays, we will be living in a very different world to the one we lived in when I started them. We already are. The COVID pandemic has proven to be the perfect controlled experiment for the rollout of the next stage of the machine's evolution. This is the missing piece of the jigsaw puzzle, without which the rest cannot be deciphered. The narrative does not make sense until we understand that we are watching a new, radical form of techno-authoritarianism unfold before our eyes. It is not an accident, and it is not temporary. In the European Union, smartphone-enabled vaccine passes have been on the cards since at least 2018. The entire pandemic scenario was wargamed less than a year before it happened. The technology was ready, and the tightening of the ratchet long anticipated. All that was needed was a trigger event. As I wrote in my last essay here, the future in a collapsing society is a combination of both breakdown and clampdown. So it begins. No conspiracy theory is required for this to be true. It doesn't mean that the virus is not real or dangerous, or that Bill Gates wants to inject you with microchips. Well, he might, but that's a separate conversation. No hidden cabal of people needs to be in control. The people who are in control, or at least who aspire to be, are out in plain sight and have been for years, and most of us either don't notice or don't care. We are too busy playing with the toys they make for us. And what is the line between them and us, and how blurred is it? What we are seeing is the machine doing what it always does. What I have traced through its history for the past six months, it is taking advantage of events to cement its dominance. It is colonizing our societies and our bodies and our minds. It is replacing nature with technology and culture with commerce. It is making us parts in its operational matrix, and it is using our fear to justify its tightening grip. When we are afraid, we welcome control. We welcome authoritarianism. We welcome strong leaders who will save us by excluding them. We willingly give up our freedom for safety and end up with neither. Our fear leads us by the hand towards the next stage of our long journey away from Earth and into artifice, away from human freedom and into the digital net. Perhaps you think this sounds exaggerated, hysterical even. 
Just a few months ago, I might have agreed. A year ago, I almost certainly would. But a year ago, I had not seen what I have seen now. I had not seen the smartphone passports, the QR scanners, the meek public compliance, the deliberate whipping up of fear and hatred by political leaders. I had not seen the mandatory vaccination orders. I had not seen the camps. Next week, I will write more on what I see happening and where it is heading. But for now, it is enough to say that my personal vaccine moment has arrived. Where once I was on the fence, now I am firmly off it. Even if I were to be convinced that these vaccines worked safely, I could never get myself a vaccine passport and acquiesce in the technological segregation of society. I could never scan my code without shivering. I cannot participate in this. We all have a breaking point, and we all should, because this is the means by which our human intuition screams to us that something is wrong. This is mine. I will not go along with what is happening. I will not validate what is emerging. I will resist it. I will take my stand. What has been interesting about just the last few days, as I have struggled with how to express myself here, is that huge numbers of people have taken to the streets to say the same thing. Enough. As the pressure builds, the explosions begin. Following widespread walkouts and strikes in the USA in recent weeks, hundreds of thousands of people across Europe have begun to take to the streets to oppose the closing in of the Technium. Few of these vast demonstrations have been reported in the mainstream media. Another of those facts which, if the world was what it pretends to be, would ring alarm bells, but which we have become inured to in the age of the spectacle. But something is happening out there. It's as if the vaccine moment is some kind of thought form, drifting through the air, settling on millions of us at once, like soft rain. Or perhaps it is more that a fog has suddenly cleared. Perhaps more and more people are coming to see that what is happening now is the Rubicon of our age. Nothing will be the same after this, and it is not intended to be. If we don't want the future to look like a QR code flickering across a human face forever, we're going to have to do something about it. All right, that concludes part one of the vaccine moment. Uh, and I really want to do a guy's take on this because I think this is just, I think this is a perspective that's lost because the conversation is always about the vaccine. And I think that's irrelevant. Whether or not the vaccine works or not, or whether it's damaging or not, has nothing to do with the ridiculous government response that we have just blindly accepted without debate as a response to this. And I think Paul is right here, that there is something far larger and far more established that is moving simply at an opportune time. When I was just reading through like a bunch of different essays and articles and blog posts and stuff this week, and this one just stuck out to me. It just, it's too important not to talk about, in my opinion. Um, so 
Uh, let's take a quick break right here for our sponsor, and we will jump back into Guy's Take. Holding your keys is not just some fun mantra in Bitcoin. It is at the heart of what it means to own Bitcoin. If you aren't holding your keys, they aren't yours. They belong to some exchange or a service that you're trusting that has promised them to you. This is why I tell people to simply get a simple, easy-to-use hardware wallet like the BitBox. If you want to be sovereign, if you want to know that you own your Bitcoin, you know, maybe you don't know with your mobile wallet, is it a service or are you actually holding your own keys? With the BitBox, you know. You've got a secure, easy-to-use hardware wallet and it's the best thing that you can do for your security. For the average user, it is literally only a small step when it comes to difficulty, but it's a giant leap for security and peace of mind. Listeners to this show get a 5% discount with code GUYSWAN, and that's actually off anything in the Shift Crypto store. Lots of other fun security devices and backup stuff um, uh, if you want to explore their store. But obviously, that also is 5% off the BitBox. Um, if you aren't holding your own keys, it's time to, to taste a little bit of sovereignty, especially in a world that is doing everything it can to take that autonomy from you every way that it knows how. Own your Bitcoin by getting yourself a BitBox hardware wallet at guyswan.com BitBox. So why is this a Bitcoin issue? Why, why do I think... Like what made me decide to put this on Bitcoin Audible? I I genuinely think we're you know you know when I look at this thing, when I look at what's happening, I don't see a virus. I, I can't believe it's kind of dumbfounding to me that people still see the narrative as it's told. That this is all about this awful, deadly, terrible virus that we can just beat. If we do A, B, and C, which we've all done A, B, and C clearly over and over and over again and in a hundred different fucking experiments for two years and it's not even come close to working in any case at all. And yet this is still the narrative. That if we do these ridiculous things, I don't see a virus, I don't see a vaccine. I see a system of control that fully believes and accepts as a given and that every other person around me seems to just swallowed hook, line, and sinker the, every facet of this machine with the clear and explicit claim that it owns us completely and it can do with us what it sees fit, whether it be invade our body or lock us in a box for some subjective good that they claim without the allowance of any contest or debate or consent whatsoever, what is necessary to keep everybody safe? And I just keep asking myself, how did we get here? How did we get here so fast? You know, there were people who told me when, like, so I was actually really nervous about this virus at the very beginning, and then that kind of dropped quite a bit um, uh, pretty quickly. Uh, and because I was seeing it kind of from an economic perspective is why would, how would this be used? How will this be convenient for the people who want to basically scapegoat, who want to convert the blame to a virus 
of some of a uh, of an economic crisis that started in September of 2019, essentially, or at least the cracks started to unravel and that there was no escaping it. And this just seemed like after after I kind of got over the videos from China, people falling down out of nowhere and just, you know, convulsing and like all this stuff is like really kind of scary shit. And it seemed like people weren't even paying attention to it then. But like back through like November and December, even January, really, I guess like that's probably when it picked up in 2019 into 2020. But more and more as time has come on, uh, time has gone on. I'm just amazed by the assumptions of with just the utter clear and lack of principles that like nobody is restricted anywhere like nobody is just and I, and I mean that in the context of power it's just like the idea of complete and total and absolute authority for the sake of not getting sick is just somehow a given is just and that even to challenge it to, to question whether or not they have the authority to determine how many hours you are allowed out of your house in the day is met with abuse and censorship. You know, the idea of even talking about a vaccine passport in like March of 2020 would literally get you banned. You get kicked off of Twitter. Like there were people who literally like they're going to push for vaccine passports. We're going to be scanning QR codes to get into restaurants and stores and stuff. And they were getting called, not only that, not only were from the complicit crowd, were they being called conspiracy theorists, which is an admission, by the way, that this is something that we don't want, that this is a bad thing, that you're exaggerating and saying that there's going to be some grand conspiracy to do a very bad thing, which is vaccine passports and scanning QR codes to get into a grocery store. That's absurd. Obviously, we would not want that, but you're ridiculous. We should ban you, you need to be censored. You need to be fact checked. You need to have your fucking mouth shut. And yet, one year later, we actually have vaccine passports popping up all over the world. Multiple governments in lockstep doing the exact same thing. And now, not only is it not a conspiracy theory, the idea that you would not like it when it was admitted that it was a conspiracy theory of an evil thing that would never happen. Now it's just like, obviously you're crazy for not just accepting this new and obviously only beneficial system of KYC everywhere. That's what this is. That's what this is. For anybody who, if, if, if there's anybody on the fence or wondering, you know, listening to this uncomfortable because they they support or just think all of this is perfectly normal. I don't know. I don't know the worldview that could possibly. I, I just can't. That doesn't fit in my head anymore. But for anybody who is, do you at least understand the argument that KYC AML, like anti money laundering and like the the need to put uh, like customer data into these giant databases with every single company they ever sign up with is a huge is a horrible invasion of privacy. And it's so stupid for consumers, like for the security of the consumer, like it, it puts the consumer at unbelievable risk for no value in the context of solving some supposed problem of money laundering. Money laundering is not stopped because they're making every single person, you know, give a DNA sample and 
scan their social security cards in just to get a bank account or sign up for a mobile app that will allow you to send $20 to your friend because that's where the real crimes are happening. You know, if it wasn't for those unreported $50 and $100 cash and mobile app transactions, you know, there's no way Jeffrey Epstein ever would have run a pedophile ring for some of the most powerful people in the world for decades and decades protected by the media, covered up by politicians and powerful people all over the freaking world, and raped hundreds and hundreds, probably thousands, of literally children. But sure, but sure, it's all those, all those people who sign up for mobile apps, those are the problems. They're the real big, they're the, they're the big whales, the crime, the crime bosses that we need to go after. In fact, we should have everybody report exactly what they need to fill out a whole report about why they're doing it, what they're buying and who they're engaged in t commerce with on anything $600 or more. Ooh, that's critical. You know, if we can catch all the iPhones that the pedophiles are buying, that'll really stop them. That'll be the, that'll be the thing that finally, finally solves that human trafficking problem. Jesus Christ. Like this, that's, that's the narrative. Like, like that's, this is the underlying desire here. This is KYC AML life. Vaccine passports, mandates, the contact tracing, they are literally the implementation of KYC AML for everyone at all times and for every single business, grocery store, restaurant that they go into. It is enforcing by law the framework for a global panopticon to, to put normal fucking life behind a permissioned gated community that is government regulated as to what you need to do to get in, to get through the gate for normal everyday life. What, what are we doing here? What is this? How have we accepted this? Let's quote from this article. Control. This is the story of the times. Across the world, we are seeing an unprecedented claim to control staked by the forces of the state in alliance with the forces of corporate capital over your life and mine. All of it converges on the revealed symbol of our age, the smartphone-enabled QR code that has, with frightening speed and in near silence, become the new passport to a full human life. As ever, our tools have turned on us. Another revelation? They were never our tools to begin with. We were theirs. For everybody who does see this as a problem, who does actually have some degree of personal boundary and self-respect, this is the consequence of only having systems of trusted third parties. This is what the ultimate trend of centralization leads to. This is why decentralization, robust, absolute, radical neutrality of the Bitcoin system is so unbelievably critical. Because as soon as you start compromising when it comes to control, when it comes to re requiring trust in some other institution or person or group, look how quickly it can turn into this. 
look at what happens when we put all of our most important technology entirely in the control of someone else, of some central server. You know, this is just the institutionalization, the, the legal framework to enforce essentially the, the tracking and the surveillance system that Google and like the major networks have on us already. This is just legally requiring us to attach our identity to every single thing that we do, to everywhere we go, so that not only do they have the data on where we go, track the tracking data on us at all times, who we, who we talk to, who we associate with, where we buy things, what we're allowed to buy. This ensures that you have a government-issued identity to connect this to that scans to reprove this every single time you want to do something, like go about your daily life, in which prison is the consequence for not participating. Now, if you tell me, oh, this isn't going to happen, or that, oh, that's, ex that's an extreme version, it's already here. It might not be where I am right now. It's not in North Carolina, but you're asleep. You're asleep if you think this isn't what everyone is trying to do. All of these governments are openly talking about it. None of this is hidden. None of this is hidden. How do you pretend that this isn't real? This is what they all want to do, and they have absolutely no moral qualms about doing it. There are no principles holding these people back. It is 100% related to the degree of angry pushback they receive and how quickly they are able to actually do it. And we are watching this happen in modern countries, modern supposedly free countries, in which people are being put in prison, beaten by cops for walking around, for leaving their house outside of their allotted time per day. And, you know, I don't, I don't care if somebody says it like, oh, it's only in Victoria. It's not even here on this side of Australia. Or, like, how are you not enraged that it happens anywhere? And the fact that politicians all over the modern world are openly talking about this, like, this is a smart decision. This is something we should probably do. And all the while, like, that none of this is about the vaccine. None of this is about the virus. The virus isn't going away. Nothing is going to fundamentally change. If we vaccinated everybody on the planet right now, COVID is going nowhere. Nowhere. Iceland is 92% vaccinated. They have the highest death rates and the highest cases, case rate that they've had this whole time. I don't know why. Is it because the vaccine sucks? Because the vaccine actually makes people sick? I don't know. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. It should make vaccine passports and mandates be 100% proven to be the useless bullshit that they are. I keep hearing people say, oh, until we beat this thing. What the hell does that look like? Nobody can, there's no end to this. There's no exit strategy here. There's, what's the concrete point where COVID is obviously still around, we still have a variant every single season because that's what SARS viruses have done since forever. Like, that's just, 
like we're not going to undo reality. This isn't going anywhere. This isn't going anywhere. And the vaccine does not stop you from getting sick or transmitting it. So another great big bonus point to, yeah, it's not going to do shit about getting rid of COVID. So what's the end game? We've been through like four waves. Like if you look at the charts, it's like it peaked and then it, then it dumped and then it peaked and then it, then it troughed. Like, like we've done this like four times, like in most countries. We've just gone through wave after wave after wave and variant after variant after variant. Like, it, it's so stupid now that we're just naming them after Transformers. So when is it over? It's been two years. Literally nothing has changed. And when will the lobbyists and the corporate interests and the pharmaceuticals and the government control and the institutions of power, when will they just be like, all right, we've gone far enough. We should stop. We should stop propping. You know, Pfizer. Pfizer has pulled in half a trillion dollars off of this shit show. When will they ever stop campaigning for everybody's booster shot? Now they're bragging about how the fact that when there's a new variant in 100 days, they can have a new vaccine out. They can have a new booster and vaccine for out for everybody. When will they ever say you don't have to take it? When would they ever be like, okay, let, you know, half a trillion dollars has been great this year, but let's go back down to like, you know, $10 billion, like normal years. Now that we've instituted this system of control and a vaccine passport so that we have an easy way to just get in this politician's ear and have the government say that you can't go to the grocery store unless you take our next vaccine. When, why would they just stop? I just don't know what fairy tale you have to believe. And I don't even know what the fairy tale would look like to think that this is anything but permanent. And that anybody involved wants it to be anything but. I can't see how it is anything other than a fully intentional institutionalization of this system. It's not going anywhere. At least not by their choice. And also, because of those, the vague... Oh God, it's so hard to even talk about this. Because you got the, this vague idea of they... And, like, what is this institution? And, like, there, there's actually, in fact, I've got it saved here. Hold on a second. It's a great quote from this. It says, No conspiracy theory is required for this to be true. It doesn't mean that the virus is not real or dangerous, or that Bill Gates wants to inject you with microchips. Well, he might, but that's a separate conversation. No hidden cabal of people needs to be in control. The people who are in control, or at least who aspire to be, are out in plain sight and have been for years, and most of us either don't notice or don't care. We are too busy playing with the toys they make for us, and what is the line between them and us, and how blurred is it? I'm just constantly in this weird space where it, it the the only response is that this is this is a ridiculous conspiracy theory or that I'm an anti-vaxer which completely the removes which is why I'm so frustrated by this situation because you can't have you can't talk about it you can't have 
a calm, reasonable discussion with anyone because everybody has gone insane. Reasonable discussion and any sort of debate about this is you being a crazy person. The idea of debating any of this is immediately and absolutely off the table. We are just supposed to swallow it and to not do so makes us a conspiracy theorist or an anti-vaxxer, which is just mind-boggling. This doesn't have to be a conspiracy theory. It is all out in the open. We, we can just look at it and listen to them. The IMF is talking about it. The World Bank is talking about it. The German government talks about it. Watched lots of videos of politicians talking about it. Watched Australian politicians talking about it and people in power. Watched Biden talking about it. Watched Jim Cramer talking about it. None of this is a conspiracy. It's 100% in the open. The people who are able to consolidate power and get what they want out of this situation are taking advantage of their position, of their incredible centralized control, and the fact that they can grasp onto even more of it because everybody's scared and it's super freaking easy. You know, there's some subset of people who just be like, oh, you think we're going to have QR codes and contact tracing in an app that you have to scan to get into your grocery store and go to the movies and go to a restaurant. And all I can think is, how many times does somebody in power have to explicitly state that before you believe them? I don't see how that makes me crazy for taking them at their word and their explicit proposals for how to go about, quote-unquote, beating COVID and solving the unvaxxed problem. That doesn't make me crazy. That makes them blind. With their heads so deeply buried in the sand that I'm shocked they can move their arms. I'm curious, when, you know, when we're openly talking about not letting someone have their life unless they do A, B, or C, um, and controlling where they can go, when they can, how long they can, when that's totally on the table... How, how, how many steps away from that, how many inches away is the conversation of just confiscating everyone's wealth if they don't do A, B, or C? How hard is it to tie your CBDC to that QR code, your salary, your health insurance? You know, for anybody who's listening to this show for any period of time, like I've explained over and over, and, and I've used this analogy a lot that we have two paths that we can go down one is toward ever-increasing centralization control and top-down restrictions and explicit labels and barriers gates on what we can and cannot do based on a set of government policies based on political whim and corporate control or we have autonomy we have decentralization we have people owning themselves and their money without anyone else's permission. That is what, this is what I was talking about. This is path A that we are screaming down at a thousand miles an hour. And there are a shocking number of people, even people in Bitcoin, who are just like, this is fine. This isn't actually that path. Yeah, this is exactly what I was talking about. This is exactly what I have always dreaded 
we would we were possibly headed into. I've just you know like 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 we talk about like you know privacy is one of those things that you uh, that you pay for down the road that you know you don't have privacy today and maybe that doesn't cost anything but then five years from now seven years from now the wrong people are in power and they've taken the wrong amount of power and suddenly that privacy now has a huge cost but because it was just like a minor inconvenience today or five years ago yeah no big deal right it's just a convenient inconvenience not to and there's no real concrete, immediate benefit for making sure you do have your privacy or your autonomy. We are now living in exactly the consequences of what happens when those things go away, when they are lost entirely, because our entire economic system has become ever increasingly more and more centralized, more and more restricted, more and more manipulated and corrupted, to the tune of the fact that prices are just meaningless. The entire economic system is a giant race to get the new government tokens and make sure you're in a position of power when the government puts restrictions on every single thing you do and executes full control over your body. You know, my body, my choice is a dirt simple principle. Isn't it kind of funny how quiet they are now? Ah, anyway, thank God for Bitcoin. Because the only real solution to this, the only real fundamental fix, the thing that tears out the roots of this entire system is the removal of the control of capital. Because the control of capital is, enables all of this. And you know, I don't like to get crazy angry on this show. Like, I'm generally very optimistic. And I do. I do think we have... Like something really amazing happening at the same time that something kind of horrifying is unfolding in the legacy world. And that's both from the incredible expansion of the surveillance state and, you know, mandates and all of these ridiculous systems of control that are trying, that they are working incredibly hard to have standardized and become a part of everyday life. But then also the economic realities that we're going through, the horrible debt bubbles, the, the horrible inflation. And I don't think these are separate at all. These responses are one and the same. They're responding to the same thing. They are, it is a grasp for greater control in the middle of a collapse. And I think the writing is on the wall, like everything points to both of these things getting worse going forward, at least in the short term. But the fundamental solution to both is just an ability to exit, to exit the control of capital from this system that is trying to tighten the reins. And in an optimistic note, you know, liberty is not a constant, like the, the need or recon recognition of liberty and the focus on liberty only comes really, it only, it only really burns bright when it's understood that liberty is being lost. You know, it's a wave as a cycle like anything. It's a response. You only understand, it's like, it's like taking anything for granted. You only understand the value of love when you lose it, when you're alone. You only understand the value and the importance of liberty when it's taken from you and you begin to see the consequences. And I think there's a lot more people 
that are waking up to the problems here. And, you know, if I've annoyed someone with this episode or that made them very uncomfortable, they think I'm ridiculous and I'm stupid for over-exaggerating and thinking this is a terrible thing. You know, I don't really care. I just don't. This is deeply important to me, and I think this is a critical issue. And for the people who are waking up and having their moment where they're realizing just how important liberty is and realizing that, holy crap, we aren't free, that this thing that I assumed was simply the norm is not anymore, that I don't have, this isn't my decision. Somebody is going to force this onto me. I'm going to lose my job if I don't come to the same conclusion. And maybe I didn't. Or maybe I simply don't want to live in a world where these things become the norm. Well, those people are probably very scared. Like Paul said in this, they probably have a deep sense of foreboding. So that's who I'm talking to. Because I don't think it's right for those people to feel like they're alone. They're not. Yes, this matters. No, you are not crazy for thinking this is stupid, senseless, and does not fit with even their supposed claims for what they're trying to accomplish. No, this is not a world I want to live in either. At least not the one we're moving into. And if anybody tells you to shut your mouth and fall in line, that you're crazy for being afraid, that the authority has already announced exactly what the answer is, and questioning it is simply not allowed, they are the ones who are wrong, not you. This is not how we treat people in a free and open society by and for the people. Anyway, depending on how part two comes out for this article, um, I might go in, I might dig into it again. Uh, and who the hell knows what happens over the winter. Cases are obviously going to go up. It's SARS. It's winter. Duh. So who knows what the world looks like when we come out of this. Like Three months is basic, basically a lifetime right now. But I don't intend to talk about this a lot on the show. Um, it'll probably come up from time to time just because, well, it's what's happening in the world. But the problem is that there is no rational, respectful discussion to be had. This is without a doubt the most divisive thing that anybody could talk about right now. It turns into a screaming argument and abuse instantly. And that's explicitly because when one side digs in and decides that the mere presence of potential disagreement or questioning, quote, the narrative or the science simply should not be allowed, is going to make the opposing side dig in even worse, and believe any crazy thing that disagrees. They create the absurdities and the extremism by disallowing any sense of legitimate conversation. And you know, I've, I feel like I've made my stance perfectly clear. I don't give a shit about the vaccine. I, I really don't care about COVID. I, am, I want to understand those things better and I try to collect as much information about them as I can. Uh, I've retweeted stuff that I found out was wrong. I've gone back and forth on multiple different issues trying to parse out any semblance of truth, but I've made my stance on vaccine mandates perfectly clear. They are evil. 100%. I don't really care. and I'm sh honestly shocked that I have to explain why a violation of one of the core principles of the Nuremberg Code is in fact a bad thing. 
The idea that that is even on the table for discussion really blows my mind. But I do not debate this topic. This is not up for discussion simply because I refuse to give the pretense of a conversation as if this is between two willing participants when one side, regardless of the outcome, regardless of whether they can convince the other or even argue their case in even a half-decent sense, that if their end game is to simply support and contribute to the destruction of the other person's life, the removal of their job, their family, a violation of their most basic self-ownership, or throwing them into a cage, I refuse to give such evil the appearance of mutual respect by engaging in a conversation with it. If the end result is I'm going to put a gun to your head and make you do it anyway, then it's not a conversation and I will not allow it to appear that way. If I do, I am only lending them legitimacy. And like Paul said in this article, I'm just not going to participate. I can't be a part of this. So, I'm going to go buy a bunch of Bitcoin. <laughs> and uh, whether you agree or not, I hope you do too. Because holding Bitcoin will make you sovereign one way or the other. It will reinforce and prove that you own yourself. And you do. It is a simple objective fact of reality. My thoughts are mine. They are not run by you. My body is not controlled by you. It is mine. I own it. It is my experience. And everybody deserves that utterly basic right to their life. Their time is theirs. Their choice is theirs. Their risk is theirs. And Bitcoin respects that by design. But it requires responsibility. It requires us to know how to enforce that, how to protect that. And that's our job. That is our responsibility. You know, self-ownership is something that I believe with my whole being. It is one of the, it is the principle by which all other principles can be derived. It is the most important and critical thing to have any grasp of the understanding of liberty, in my opinion. Self-ownership is it. That is why when I look at what's happening in the world today, I am appalled. Because self-ownership is being ridiculed. It is being abused and called selfish. But it is also why when I look at Bitcoin, I am hopeful. Because it does not require anyone's approval. It does not require anyone else to agree with your self-ownership. And it does not have any subjective judgments as to how or when you own the fruits of your labor or for what arbitrary authority it must be relinquished. Bitcoin is radical neutrality in a world of radical bias. So, with that, we'll close this out. Thanks for listening, guys. Uh, huge thank you to our sponsors for the show, Fold, Bitbox, Swan Bitcoin, and the Bitcoin 2022 conference. Check out their links in the show notes. I will catch you on the next one. We've got some amazing Bitcoin reads coming up this week. So stay tuned. And until then, everybody, take it easy.
You have been listening to Bitcoin Audible, a 111 production. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.